Good morning, everybody. My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board-certified construction lawyer here in Florida. Uh, and today, we're going to answer the questions uh, surrounding ways to secure your rights to, to get paid with personal guarantees and other things we'll talk about uh, in a few minutes. So let's get started. Cash or credit, that is the first question you need to ask yourself. Are you willing to extend credit? Um, and the reason we see our clients extend credit uh, is pretty straightforward. They want to uh, increase customer loyalty um, by extending credit. They want they they have the financial ability themselves to extend credit, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and they want to increase the financial ability of their customer to do more work by extending credit. Um, in your industry, it may be the standard to extend credit versus uh, expect a COD or payments in advance. Uh, it can give you a competitive advantage over your customer, over your competition, uh, and it, it can increase sales uh, if you extend credit. Now, remember, extending credit creates credit risk, and that credit risk may need to be absorbed uh, if things don't go well. So not everybody that you extend credit to will pay you on time uh, or unfortunately sometimes at all. Maybe they go into bankruptcy, maybe the, the job you have uh, extended credit to and delivered materials to um, goes into bankruptcy uh, or foreclosure. So understand when you extend credit, you are taking uh, a risk yourself in providing that credit to your customer. But I would tell you, at least in the industry that we're in, construction, it is very common uh, to extend credit to your customers. The construction industry runs on credit. So not extending credit is is very unusual. Um, uh, so. Let's talk about the different ways that you're going to secure your right to be paid, expecting that you're going to have to extend credit uh, in order to do business. Um, and the first is a personal guarantee. Um, the next is the corporate guarantee. Then we're going to talk about the joint check agreement and construction liens and bonds. Um, so personal guarantees, what is it? It is a written promise uh, from a natural person. Um, to pay the debt of the business. It can uh, and should include the husband and wife, uh, and let me explain why that's important. In Florida and some other states, but Florida particularly, which is known as a um, debtor-friendly state, the liabilities of one spouse are not uh, the liabilities of another spouse automatically. So I'll give you an example. We have a, a client who uh, is a supply house for windows and doors. They're a manufacturer. They delivered product to um, a project. They unfortunately did not have uh, did not secure their lien rights, but they had a personal guarantee on their customer. Um, so we filed the lawsuit. We we obtained a judgment, and we garnished the personal guarantor's bank account. Um, and there was ample money in that account to satisfy the debt 
unfortunately, that account was held between the husband and the wife in what's known as tenants by the entirety, um, which is the most common designation that husbands and wives open accounts in. And as a result, even though there was enough money in the account and he was a joint owner of the account because it was titled the way it was when they opened the account, none of the money, so it's not even half of the money or a portion of the money, none of the money was available to satisfy the judgment. Um, so understand that a personal guarantee is good. It's definitely better than not having one, but understand that there are limitations in what you can do if you don't have the spouse on the guarantee as well. So if you want to protect yourself, get a guarantee. If you really, really want to protect yourself, then you need the guarantee of both the husband and the wife. Both spouses need to be signing personally on the guarantee, um, which is very hard to do. You'll probably say, well, it's hard enough to get a guarantee. Um, now I need to get the guarantee of the husband and wife. And again, what we see most of our clients do is that if the business is strong enough on their own credit, they may not get a, they may not require a guarantee. If they believe they need a guarantee, they get it from the uh, principal that's involved in the business. And if they um, are not comfortable at all, uh, they may say to the customer, look, we're not going to extend you credit even with a guarantee, but if we secure our rights with a lien and you and your spouse sign the, guarantee, the personal guarantee, then we will extend credit. So understand the, the limitations of a single party personal guarantee um, and how you can make it better by getting both the husband and the wife. The guarantee does not need to be conditioned on the business not paying. So it's joint and several liability, meaning if uh, some people perceive that you can only go after the guarantor if the business doesn't pay um, the debt, meaning you, you have to exhaust your remedies against the business. There are ways to write the personal guarantee to make it very clear that each of the parties, the company and all of the guarantors are jointly and severally liable, meaning you could look at the business and say, you know what, we're not even going to go after the business. We're just going to go after the guarantor on the debt and sue them and pursue them directly. Um, so uh, the other thing you need to know is that it can include all of the debts even without their consent on the debt. So let me give you an example of that. We represent um, another supply house and they uh, are a plumbing supply house and they had a personal guarantee uh, against the business owner. So it was the business and one of the partners. Um, he sold his interest in the business and left the business, but he didn't remove himself from the guarantee. So the business continued to accrue debt. Uh, they couldn't pay. So we filed a lawsuit against the business and the guarantor. And he came back and he said, well, I haven't been involved in the business for a year. The, the way the guarantee was drafted was such that irrespective of him leaving the business, um, so long as he didn't cancel his guarantee from that point forward by giving our client notice, he was still on the hook, even though he was not involved in the business, had no uh, way to know what debts they were running up. Um, so be aware of that. Just because someone leaves the business by itself doesn't mean that they're off of the guarantee. Let's talk about a corporate guarantee. It's a lot like a 
uh, personal guarantee, except it's from a business, not from the for, from a person. Uh, so if you're going to get a corporate guarantee, just know that you want it from a business that you believe to be uh, ideally at least as good off, ideally better off than the business that you're extending the credit to. So remember that um, if the businesses are affiliated, right? So a customer comes to you and says, I need credit for business A. And he says, but I also have business B and you can, and I will guarantee the debt uh, of business A was with business B. Again, that's better than not having it at all, but understand that if there are two uh, if the two businesses are so intertwined that if one fails, they both fail, you may not have you you may not be getting much additional value. The ideal corporate guarantee is a completely separate entity. Again, not easy to get, but if you are not willing to extend credit and make this as a an option to them, maybe they'll come up with someone that's willing to guarantee the debt. The next way that you can secure your right to be paid is a joint check agreement. So a joint check agreement is a written promise, usually from the general contractor on a project to pay a sub-subcontractor or supplier directly. Know that it's governed by its terms. So there is no such thing as a universal joint check agreement. Every joint check agreement is governed by its terms as it's written, meaning that there are some joint check agreements that are really good for you and there are other joint check agreements that are not so good for you. So you have to read them and negotiate them like you would any other contract. Many contractor drafted joint check agreements provide very little protection for you. So if you're a supplier or a sub-subcontractor and, you, uh, and your customer wants to uh, buy from you or hire you and you don't feel comfortable, um, and one of the ways that you want to feel more comfortable to, to secure your right to be paid is you want a joint check agreement. And you say, okay, I need a joint check agreement uh, from the contractor on this job. Just know that if the contractor gives you their form of joint check agreement, it's probably not that great. So if this is something that you do on a regular basis or something you wish to implement, you should take the time to have your own form of joint check agreement ready to go. So you can go to your customer and say, look, I am not going to sell to you unless I have a joint check agreement. And here's the one that you need to sign. Start negotiating from your form of joint check agreement rather than the general contractor's form of joint check agreement. Keep in mind, and these are some of the things that you need to put into the joint check agreement. What happens if the joint payee refuses to sign the joint check? Understand what a joint check is. It's a dual payee check. So it says uh, subcontractor and supply house on the uh, payee line of the check. Unless the counterparty to the joint check is willing to endorse the check, then you still don't have the right to be paid. So you can address that issue uh, in your joint check agreement. Um, by, by requiring the contractor to obtain uh, or the subcontractor to sign the joint check, failure of which, meaning if, if the joint payee on the check refuses to sign it, then 
you can have in the joint check agreement that the contractor, upon notice from you, will issue a single party check for the amount to you. Because what, what we see sometimes happening is that the joint check payee uh, as a means to exert leverage on the downstream sub-sub or supply house says, yeah, the joint check's ready, but but I don't agree that I owe you this month this much. So you know, you think you're pay, you're owed ten thousand. I think you're only owed eight. So if you want this joint check, if you want me to sign the joint check, uh, you know, you need to cut me back another check for two thousand or credit my account two thousand. So because their signature is the trigger that releases the funds, sometimes they use it as leverage to effectively renegotiate the deal later. Um, so you need to be prepared for that in advance and address that in the joint check agreement. Finally, let's talk about construction lien and bond claims and how they work. Um, generally speaking, a lien will encumber the property that you are working on or provide materials to, and a notice of non-payment or a bond claim will make uh, uh, will encumber the contractor's payment bond on the project. Let's run through very quickly the time frame. It never hurts to refresh. You need to send a notice to owner no later than 45 days. And to be very clear, 45 days is the day that the owner or the contractor need to receive the document. So you need to send it much sooner than the 45th day. If you actually put it in the mail on the 45th day, it's already late. So um, if you use a service uh, a notice owner service, they send it with what's called a manifest, meaning they take it to the post office before the 40th day, the post office stamps their manifest, and whether or not the owner or the contractor ever receive the document, the fact that you have the manifest under the lien law means that your notice is considered good and delivered. So using Sunray makes a big difference in ensuring that you secure your rights with a notice to owner. That's the 45-day deadline first work. 90 days from your last work, uh, and again, this is the outside deadline, you need to record your claim of lien or serve your notice of non-payment. Um, and again, this is the 90th is the absolute last day from your last work or last delivery of materials. It does not include warranty work. It does not include punch list. And my advice to you is that at about day 60 from your last work is when you really need to start seriously thinking about starting the lien or bond claim process. Don't wait till day 85. Start it at day 60 to give yourself a lot of time to get the paperwork ready, sign the documents, uh, have them served so that we're not rushing at the last minute. And then finally, you need to file a lawsuit to foreclose on your lien within one year of last work or on a bond claim within one year of uh, your last work as well. So I apologize. On the lien, it's one year from the recording date of the claim of lien. And on a bond claim, it's one year from your last work, which has a potential swing of as much as 90 days. So don't forget that you shouldn't even be waiting that long, but uh, you have a little less time to sue on a bond claim than you do on a lien claim. If you are a supply house uh, to a subcontractor or you are a sub-subcontractor, make sure you look to see if the job, if the subcontractor has their own bond. Typically, we see this on larger jobs. Um, so if you are um, working as a supplier or a 
sub-sub to a subcontractor, they may have gotten a bond. And your rights on that bond are, are slightly different than on the contractor's bond or if the if you have to assert a lien. I'll tell you a little story of how a client of ours um, has been saved because of this. Our client, uh, a drywall supply house, failed to timely serve their notice to owner on the project. Um, they didn't know that they missed the deadline. They kept selling to their customer, the drywall subcontractor. Um, they, the debt accumulated to almost half a million dollars. And the drywall subcontractor disappears, goes out of business. Um, now, we don't have any rights on the general contractor's bond because we didn't timely serve a notice to owner. We did some digging and found out that the uh, subcontractor had a bond. And to be more clear, uh, Ariella and her team uh, found that subcontractor bond for our client. Um, and when she did, it created a whole new set of rights. Now we don't need to send a notice to owner within 45 days. We don't need to send a notice of non-payment within 90 days. All of those timeframes go out the window because we have a direct claim on this subcontractor's bond, which is considered a common law bond. So we went from having no rights and no ability to collect to Ariella finding this subcontractor bond and putting us back in the game. So now we have a direct claim on this bond and our client will likely recover all of their money plus interest and legal fees. So if you're that far down the chain, don't forget to look to see if a job has a subcontractor bond. And finally, um, know that subguard uh, is not any protection for you as a subcontractor, sub-subcontractor, or supply house. Subguard protects the owner and the contractor. It does not protect you. So if you are working on a job with subguard and the contractor doesn't have a bond, then just know that your rights are, uh, are on the lien that you may assert on the property. Subguard does not protect you. That's a, a common misconception. Subguard is an insurance product to protect the owner and the contractor in case a subcontractor can't finish the job. It is not like a payment bond on the job. So don't be fooled. Thanks, everybody. Thank Bye. Alex.